Now is the time for the leader to qualify. Uh, please stand when sharing. Okay. Um, so I'm going to pass some pictures. Um, you'll, you'll see. So I have kid pictures in here, even though I wasn't heavy as a kid. I was an extremely unhappy kid. And I, I didn't know that I was unhappy. I just felt different and really awkward. And like everyone else got the keys to the kingdom and other kids were happy. And I, I, um, as kids do, I just felt like there was something wrong with me rather than maybe the environment that I was raised in or whatever. So there you go. Um, did I say my name's Corey? I'm a compulsive reader. I did before, but um, I, uh, I was. Uh, I spoke here a little over six months ago, and I was, uh, it's funny how quickly I take my will back. I was driving here this morning, and I was thinking I should practice. I should come up with new stuff that I didn't share six months ago. And then it occurred to me that I just have to trust God, and, and I'll say what I need to say and what you all need to hear. And, um, and if it isn't what you need to hear, the good news is I'm not the only speaker in town. You know, there's, there's a whole weekend, this weekend of birthday party speakers, and there's meetings all over the place, and... I'm just one of our fellows, and what I share is just my experience and how I've worked the program, and um, I don't represent OA as a whole. And when I first came in uh, to my very first meeting, I thought the person who spoke was like the president of the program, because I, that's what I, I was sort of used to, this hierarchical structure, and I'm just a fellow. So um, I came into program in the late 80s. I, last August was 27 years since my first meeting ever in another program, and then about nine months later I got here. And I love my other program. It's not a substance program. It's a process program. Um, but once I got to OA, I just felt like you guys were talking about stuff that it was, although I was not very in touch with my feelings, there was something, it was almost, I think it was maybe my first spiritual experience to hear people talk about things that, you know, people, people talked about throwing something away and then going back and getting it. And, and I just thought that I, there was no way that anybody could know that about me. And people shared about that. And I thought, well, you are my people. Um, and, and you are. And I, and I just all of a sudden started to feel comfortable. And um, I, I've told this story before, but I'm not somebody that when I'm at a bottom that I'm going to come somewhere and look for help. So I think my higher power uh, has infinite wisdom, and I, I got uh, my food was was wonky. My, I'm a type one diabetic, and I was killing myself with food, and I didn't even realize, and um, I was overeating and restricting and passing out and hospitalized, and it was really bad. And I was in college at the time, and um, and I, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. I. Um, Oh, so I so I came in when things were a little uncomfortable. I was, you know, I was I had a friend in Al-Anon, and she, and, and somehow another spiritual experience. I think I shared with her that my food was uncomfortable, and I don't even remember what I said. I can't even envision. You know how like you can maybe envision yourself doing something when you were young, and you go, yeah, that's sort of how that happened. I can't even envision telling anybody about my food, other than that I needed people to think that I was perfect and. My first year that I lived in the dorms, um, nobody, everybody thought my food was perfect. Nobody knew that I was binging and, you know, all the things that I was doing. The only thing I haven't done as a part of this disease is vomit. Um, so I don't have that experience. And it wasn't that I didn't try. Um, it, it, I, and I, it never occurred to me that people took medications that helped them do that, I understand. And I had a roommate who did that. And it just, I, I'm, I'm not a drug person. I mean, I take insulin and things like those kind of drugs, but 
I'm not somebody that would like go to a store and buy something that would help me do that sort of a behavior. And um, it just was too scary to me. So it just was never, that was not part of my experience. But I did do a lot of other things. And so I came in and, and I happened to mention, and she said, oh, you should come to this program over at Ishmael Miss. And I was living in a small town. There were two meetings a week. And it took her a while, or it took me a while, uh, to keep on going back to her. Something had me keep on going back to her, saying, and it's funny because I never went to people who, I went to commercial weight loss programs or even people who look who I knew heavy and they lost a bunch of weight. I would never go to them. But this friend, I'd really trusted her. And she um, I didn't even happen to notice that she looked like a normal person and she seemed to be a normal eater. And I brought her a brownie once. We were racquetball partners and she didn't want the brownie. And I, I thought that was a little bit weird, but it, that didn't even occur to me. But somehow to somebody who didn't seem to have any food issues at all, I was willing to open up about my food and um and a bunch of times I would say, you know, you, you sure t- tell me more about it. I, like I wanted to, I wanted to get the lay of the land without coming here, which is sort of my mo. I, I want to survey things from afar and then come in and already know, so I don't look like the fool newcomer. I mean, newcomers are not fools, but that's how I felt. Um, and, uh, and 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 she kept on saying, yeah, I think you should come. You can check out a meeting. You can. You can check out a meeting, and if it doesn't fit for you, you don't have to come back. And I, that, was a, that was like, that was the clincher for me. I, for some reason, even though I had been in Al-Anon for nine months and, and thought that I had mastered that program without working the steps, um, I did it my own way, which was better than yours. Um, I, uh, I didn't, I, it took someone else saying, you can come, and then if it doesn't fit for you, then don't stay. Um, and I came, and in the first meeting, I felt more of a connection with people that I didn't know. And I don't even remember if my friend was there or not than I did in this other program that I had been for nine months sharing almost every week. Um, so, um, so that's how I got here. And um, it's uh, on December 5th, I, st- I celebrated 24 years of abstinence. Um, in the beginning... Um, so I'm an overeater, I'm an undereater, and hopefully I'll cover pieces of both of that. But um, in the beginning, I, I, I was ab- when I moved back to Los Angeles, I was abstinent. I, I picked an abstinence that looked so good on the outside, and it was there's no way I could ever follow it forever. It was like one of those things. It wasn't even enough food, and but it felt like that's like if if you have this is the kind of uh, it, it was a diet basically, and 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 it was a diet. Um, it was a weight loss diet, and anyway, and it was it would have been impossible to follow. So I was white knuckling, and and I also there were some other things happening in my life. Like I was beginning to really understand when I was in college, I started realizing that my, my whole life I had had an affinity for women in a way that all of my friends did for men. Like all my friends were like, oh my god, did you see that guy? And the football team, we're going to go to the football game, and and I just was, I didn't get it. I didn't get it, and I didn't realize, um, I didn't, and it wasn't like I didn't know that gay people existed, but I didn't realize that, that, that I probably was a lesbian. I just didn't, that was for, for some reason very shameful for me. And, um, and then I started, so when I moved back to Los Angeles, there was this woman in meeting, I had a big crush on her, she was totally straight, which at the time was also one of my MOs, and um, we wound up uh, moving in together as roommates. It's a good thing if you're attracted to emotional unavailability and you're a lesbian to move in with a straight woman. And I had all sorts of fantasies, and we moved in together. And then she met this guy, and she um, and I and was very I was I was crushed. 
Um, and one of the things that she, uh, she, and she was a bulimic, I met her in this program, she was a bulimic, and, um, and I, I didn't, I can consume, well, I could, I don't think I could anymore, but maybe if I went out, but I can consume massive quantities of food. And I know all of you, like, I don't have to tell you, there's people in the world that when I say I used to be heavy, they go, oh, no, you weren't. You guys get it, right, because this program works. So the fact that I'm not heavy anymore doesn't mean that I could that I never was heavy. Like the, you know, I so um, anyway. So I I lived with this roommate, and part of my so my my plan was two things. I was going to convert her to being a lesbian and show her how wonderful I was and how, and it wasn't even conscious that I thought that. Um, and I also was going to help her get abstinent, <laughs> which is a bad motive for trying to get into a relationship with a straight woman. And trying to work my own program. And um, I wound up binging with her because I couldn't get her abstinent. And she was eating some really good-looking food. And I, um, I, I wound up, I, in, instead of realizing and working with a sponsor and reasoning things out with another, like we're sort of taught here, or we are taught here, um, I stopped calling my sponsor. I, you know, all my energy was on this woman. And I... Um, and I started eating with her because that was a way that I could bond with her. And, I, and that's not her fault. And it, I don't even know that it's my fault. I mean, I'm a compulsive overeater. And when I don't pick up the tools, then, you know, then my disease takes over because it's very powerful. So I started um, massively, massively binging. And, um, and one day, there, I think for me, the, the most powerful time for me as a compulsive reader in program wasn't before I ever got abstinent. It was having been abstinent, having remembered the clarity and the connection. I didn't even call it God yet, but this connection with some higher power and with all of you and feeling clarity and going to meetings and then losing it and not having it anymore and wanting it back. And every day I would come to meetings or every day I would wake up in the morning. I didn't go to meetings every day, but I woke up in the morning and I would say, okay, today's going to be day one. But what I forgot was that I don't do this on my own. I have a program and higher power and sponsor and fellows and outreach calls. And I wasn't doing any of that. I just thought, let me get abstinent and then I can share about it in meetings because I am really that powerful. And, um, if I can't get her abstinent, at least I'll get myself. So I, every day I would wake up, and then by 10 o'clock I'd be eating because I, I, I'm powerless over food. That's what I've come to realize about my disease as a compulsive overeater. And, um, and I was going to meetings, and I remember one meeting I went to, I shared that I, you know, I, I'm a rule follower. I'm, that's like the restrictor part of me. I want to follow the rules always. If you tell me that if I'm late, I can't share till 8.45 or whatever, and I'm like 30 seconds late. I won't share till 8:46 because I don't want to break the rules. And um, and I um, I forget where I was going with that. So anyway, so I came back and I um, oh so as I was losing my abstinence, I, I didn't like go to my sponsor and say, you know, hey, I I'm noticing I'm things are getting a little bit wonky maybe you can help me come up with a different food plan. Like, I, I just didn't, I, I, um, I started binging, and then I needed to find a way back. Like, it was harder, I think it was harder for me to have gone as far as I went, although I think that was a really important part of my program, and have to come back, than it would have been to talk about it with somebody else. I mean, I guess that's my experience, strength, and hope, is 
now when things are getting uncomfortable, I, I call people and I, uh, I have a food sponsor and I have a step sponsor and I'm very well supported because I know that if I, if I start trying to do it on my own, it, it's not going to be good, at least in my experience. So, um, so when I started coming back, oh, I, so I shared in a meeting um, because, you know, they say your only desire, you know, the only requirement for membership is desire to stop eating. And I shared in a meeting and I said, I don't know if I can be here. This is part of the rules conversation. I don't know if I can be here because I don't know that I have a desire to stop eating. And this woman leaned over after it was before we had such rules about crosstalk. She leaned over after my share and she said, just remember that you're here. So you must on some level want this. And it, and it gave me permission to keep on coming. And at some point I, um, I decided, so I was struggling with what will be my abstinence. And I wasn't running it by a sponsor. I was trying to figure it out. And, and I had heard this in a meeting. I decided as long as I keep on coming back, I'm going to call that abstinence. So whatever you think about that, it may not work for you. It may not work for people listening on the podcast. It worked for me. It got me back. And, um, and, I, and, and I went to meetings. I went to like, I don't know, 14 meetings a week. Like I was going to daytime meetings and nighttime meetings. And luckily I worked somewhere where there were lunchtime meetings near where I worked. And um, I went to so many meetings. And I got involved in the birthday party that year. I was on, I did tech for the play that was on Friday night. And I jumped head first into program. Um, and that was, and my first abstinence 24 years ago, December 5th, was as long as I keep on coming back. And what's interesting about that for me is my food cleaned up. And it wasn't because I said, you know, I'm going to clean up my food or I'm going to tweak it a little bit or here's what I'm going to do. It just, for me, taking the focus off my food and just saying, I, I, I've got this as long as I keep on coming back, cleaned up my food. So, um, that, that worked for me. There are things over the years that, um, that have come into play. I now have a food sponsor and I commit my food every day, um, mostly in the morning. And I just was telling her this week that I'm noticing that when I don't commit it in the morning, it's because I don't necessarily have a plan for the day and that doesn't work well. Um, so now I'm committing to commit it in the morning every day. Um, and that works really well for me. And I tell her what I'm going to eat. And if I change anything massively, I let her know. If I change from ch- turkey to chicken, I don't. She doesn't need to know that kind of detail. Um, if that were an issue for me, I'm sure she would allow me to commit that to her. But um, and like the bins at Whole Foods, I, I don't I um, those became an issue for me. And um, so I realized I can't have food at the bins at Whole Foods. And when I first added that to my food plan, I couldn't even walk down the aisle where the bins were. It was like I, I don't know. I felt like I was afraid it was going to be a magnet and I was going to go. And I couldn't even, I couldn't look at them. I couldn't, like a bad relationship, which it was. And, um, and now I can walk down the bin aisle. I'm, I'm, my wife is, um, she likes these certain kind of nuts from the bins at Whole Foods. And um, I can eat nuts. I just can't buy them from the bin because the, the, the serving size, even though it says, like, I'll read the serving size. And then somehow one ounce is just massive for me. And um, it's new math. <laughs> um, so, and she does, and it's not an issue. I can stand there with her and hold the container well, you know, and, and it's just not. It, it's been lifted. But um, so there have been things that have been added over the years. I, um, I was thinking this morning when I was trying not to plan my share because <laughs> I'm a rule follower. I was thinking about how much, I, when I speak, I mostly talk about the overeating part of my story. And I also have an undereating part. And, and that's sort of, it, it's more than just about food. It's like a restrictor part. Like I, um, 
for a while I was in another program that had to do with money and I had to write down all my money and when I met with my sponsor in this group that I met with to go over my spending plan my sponsor said you're not spending enough money on food and and I and I said well what do you mean and and what I realized was when I was in college in the 80s late 80s um, in Humboldt County where things were cheaper and um, because probably everyone was stoned. I don't know. It's the marijuana capital of California, but um, which wasn't why I went there. But anyway, I am, um, and I've not, I've never smoked marijuana. I'm, as I said, I'm not a drug person. Um, but I, um, I w- my dad paid for my school. He paid for my dorm, and I got a little meal card. But he would send me a hundred dollars a month, and somehow I got in my mind that a good budget for food is $25 a week. So I got, you know, I graduated, came back, got a job, and I was working. And I spent more than $25 a week, but I felt really guilty when I, I thought, well, I'm, all right, this week I'll spend $35. And I wasn't eating healthy, obviously. I mean, I'm not going to get political about how expensive healthy food is, but, um, but, but I had this rule about what you can spend on food, and it wasn't until... And I didn't spend a lot of time in that other program, and that was kind of my spiritual experience there that I brought back here, because I wasn't spending enough money on food. And, I, and, and that was because I felt like you, you can't spend a lot of money on food. And, and what's interesting, so that didn't mean that I wasn't eating a lot of food, because as I would go through the, the bins at Whole Foods, I was eating more than I was paying for, right? So, and some of that was because I didn't want to go over my budget. Right. And also, I I thought if you don't pay for it, then it doesn't count. You know, like like when I was a kid, I um, my mom, my mom used to joke about how samples don't count. And um, done a lot of damage with samples. But um, anyway, so. uh, So one of the things that I realized, too, when I was new, I didn't. I wanted to start working the steps. It, it was because I'm a rule follower. That's a good thing, right? Like there's my character defects have positive sides to them. And, and then it's the problem is like we talk about in six and seven character defects are instincts gone awry. So instincts are not bad things. It's just when they take me to dark places. And so one of the things that um, I saw the steps as like action, like it's very clear, like there's one through 12 and, and I'm just going to do them and I'm going to jump into them. I'm going to do them and I'm going to get that part of my program out of the way. Um, and I thank you. Five minutes. OK, so um, I started working the steps. Um, there was there was a lot of I, I did really well until it came to like the less like like um, my sponsor had me right on step one and we talked about it and we I, I got all the way to the four step and then the fifth step I read it to her and six and seven I was good writing down my character defects but when it came to praying for them to be removed it didn't seem like enough structure for me so I just sort of stopped and the very first time I wrote a four step so many feelings came up for me that I stopped and I it was a very difficult time in my life and I don't know that powering through a four step would have necessarily been the right choice or not I suppose you know I've come to sort of realize that if you don't know what God's will is then you have to sort of assume that what you've done is God's will and it'll get you to the next place and um, so I um, the fact that I stopped that four step and didn't write a full four step until years into the program it, that's really when things began to change for me and I realized that um, I, I love all the steps I love working them I love taking people through them I love hearing about them I love hearing people talk about them and for me what I know now having worked them many times and now 
I'm going through them again, although I'm, I'm dragging my feet on a four-step, so it's good to say that publicly. Um, the steps for me now where my primary focus is, it, it tends to be six and seven, because I find that when I'm acting out in my character defects, when I'm in judgment or I'm in um, envy or you know, a- any of those dark things that are kind of where I used to like to hang out, um, that that really causes problems in the rest of my life. And the more I let that go, at some point, like right now I'm, I'm in a work situation where um, I have a lot of, I, I, I'm really struggling. I'm struggling with some personalities. And, and I have a lot of um, judgment and envy about people that aren't struggling in the same ways that I am in this job, where they're not, I, there's, I have a really bad relationship with my boss. And, um, and it feels like, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it certainly feels like there are ways that I'm not being held to the same standards as other people, and that may or may not be true. But given that, where my head goes with that is I'm really angry and frustrated, and I want to bring the people down that he's treating with love and kindness, right? And what I know is I've got a program, and that's where I go. Like, wow, isn't that so interesting that I want to hold this other person accountable because I don't like my boss? So now I'm doing an inventory on my boss. That's what I've learned. Like, I, I sat with this for so long that I noticed that I started feeling hungrier and I started feeling old behaviors wanting to come up again. And after working the steps so many times and having a sponsor that says, hey, um, maybe we should get you back to the steps, I realized I need to jump back into the program. Everything, well, not everything. I mean, I, I have therapy and all that stuff too and that does other things for me than the steps do. But the steps do so much for me in those kinds of behaviors. Because if, I, if, if God can lift from me the envy that I have for these other people that aren't even doing anything to me, they just happens my boss likes them more or whatever, then my, my day goes better. And certainly, you know, I, I would imagine my interactions with them go better. So, um, you know, and one of the things, and I know I'm running out of time, but I've been through a lot in this program. We all have, right? We're humans, and um, I, um, I've been through a lot. I'm a type 1 diabetic. I was diagnosed at the age of 9, and then so once I found program, it's, it was a struggle for me in the beginning with food and trying to come up with food and do I do no sugar because a lot of people do no sugar and I don't do no sugar. Um, but as I said, I commit my food. But some people do no sugar and I was like, how do I, what are the rules? And, um, and so that was, you know, that was difficult. It was difficult to have that when none of, you know, a lot of other people in this program don't have that. So when I would call for experience, I, I had to find people that specifically had that diabetes experience. Um, I've lost two parents in this program, two of three, and the other one is just sort of, I was going to swear, but um, she's, she's probably severely mentally ill, and I, um, and so three parents, one I don't get along with, and the other two are gone, and, you know, that's just life, right? Life happens, and um, my parents, uh, my father took his life, and he killed his wife, and so I lost them that way, and that was this may will be six years and um when i got that news i was the first one of my my brother and my two stepsisters to get that news and um and i have to tell you guys this is how powerful program is my very first thought was how am i going to get through this and my second thought was i'm going to do it one day at a time and i called my people and i um and i most of most of my people are in program I have some people that aren't in program that are really supportive, but um, 
Anyway, this works for me, and it works for a lot of other people, which is why I keep on coming back. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking your questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, any questions? Yeah. Thank you, Corey, for the share. Um, can you please tell in what you tell me how it works up six and seven? Yeah. So I've done it different ways, but six and seven is you know, make a list of your character defects, and then seven, and that's the short version. And seven is ask God to remove the defects of character. And so I did just that. The, the first time I did it, they seemed to be kind of disconnected from step four, where my sponsor just said, okay, write a list. And then my next sponsor said, we went through my four step together, and she showed me. She said, see how these themes happen? Those are character defects, and let's come up with themes for those and put those on a list, and then um, ask God to lift those. So that's how we've done it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your clarification. It's amazing. Um, yeah, there's something about that free food. I love how you spoke about the bins. And um, I remember when I was in the military for Israel and we go to the yogurt shop and they give all these samples and then they say, what would you like? And she'd say, that was funny, thank you. But, you know, it's so hard to let that free food go. Um, and you can't really plan for that always. Like, um, last night I was out with my husband and son at the end of a wonderful meal, they brought some rice pudding. I, my first thing, my first thought in my, the one in my head was, that's not my food. That's not my food. And before I knew it, I just consumed it. So to get over the beraying and to be able to go back and step and rewind before the event happens is where I always get stuck. Do you have any tools for that when you're out and not knowing what the unknown may be that may be coming to you mm. free? Yeah, so the, the question had to do with how, when, when I'm going to be faced with places where there may be free food, how do I, how do I not partake when I don't want to partake? Is that fair? Um, well, it's, uh, for me, uh, it's all about God. I mean, I, I, I've noticed for the past number of months, I've been relatively obsession-free which happens for me from time to time. And I just think that's just because I'm going to more meetings and I'm making more calls um, and I'm back in the steps. And so m- I mean, my experience is just that when I have trouble with something and I know I'm going to be faced with it, I ask God to guide my fork, guide my actions, guide my words. Um, so that's my, it's all, for me, it's all spiritual. Yeah. You spoke about the situation with your manager's. Um, how did that situation resolve itself? And what was the first part of your question? How oh. Okay. Okay. So uh, the question had to do with how did I end that roommate scenario and how did I change my unavailability or my desire for unavailability? Well, so the roommate thing, I, I jumped into program and that was right when I was... Um, doing tech for the OA birthday party, and I was doing so much that 
when she really was my obsession, she was the only one that I was focusing on in my life. And I started reaching out to other fellows and enriching my life in other ways. And my desire to fix her changed. And then I realized one day I woke up and I thought, this is crazy. This is really, I had to lock up my food and because she would eat it and my clothes. And I, I just realized I don't want to live this way. And I said to her, you know, you're dating this guy. It seems promising. Can he take over my part of the lease? And, um, and I moved. So that was that part. And my, my desire for unavailability, that took a little bit more time. And I, I mean, I suppose I could say the steps. But also, I, I mean, I, I went to outside help. I went to therapy and really looked at, you know, I mean, I, I, it wasn't like my life was perfect and then one day my father killed his wife and killed himself. I, it, I grew up in a massively dysfunctional, abusive home and in a very confusing way because I felt loved, but yet there was abuse and it was very confusing. And um, I, um, I did a lot of work in outside help. And, and also working the steps and, and in four steps and looking at my patterns and my themes and my, my character defects. Um, and then one day I just noticed, I mean, also, and this is sort of an outside thing, but thank God for Internet dating. And I got to expand the pool of the women that I was dating. I just started noticing when I felt good after a date and when I didn't feel good after a date. And I was sharing about all of that with my program friends and, and sharing about it in meetings. And um, I just started dating more and more available women. And um, I want to say it just sort of happened to me, like abstinence sort of happened. But I think it's also a spiritual thing. And then, um, and I met many, I had many sort of pseudo relationships. And and I went, a couple of them I broke up with. And my friends were saying, you know, I think you're being too picky. But there was something in me that when I talked to God, I just got the sense this just isn't for me. And then when I met my wife, on our first date, we discovered she's sober for about, she's in program about as long as I am. We have some mutual friends that we didn't even know. We, um, we have a lot in common. She has her own life, her own people. Um, and it just sort of felt, I just followed what felt right. I think that was my biggest problem in my disease and before coming to program was I didn't follow what felt right. I followed what felt wrong. Like when I was, um, you know, when I was too full, that made me hungrier. And, and that was how, that was my experience with relationships, too. So, if that helps at all. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Um, in terms of uh, past abuses and abusers, how did you deal with, uh, in your fourth step, your part, or your ninth step? Mm. That's a really great question. The question is, when, when dealing with, um, perpetrators in my history, what, what, how did I deal with the my part column? So I didn't deal with it very well. For a long time, I just wrote none, but I wrote it like aggressively and angry. And one day a sponsee of mine, thank God for sponsorship, called me and she was sharing about an abuser of hers. And she said, what's my part? And somehow, I, and I, it never occurred to me for me, but I think it must have come from God. I said, well, your part is that you continue to abuse yourself in that same way. And I realized that, oh, it gave me chills. That's my part. My part is that, that I, I continue to abuse myself. And, and also probably that I, you know, I, I mean, it's the same, that I, I kept on recreating those scenarios where I, I had those same feelings, which also goes to the unavailability question. But, yeah, so that's, that's how I deal with it now. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. So 
your uh, communication with your wife and uh, how do you keep your focus off of your wife and on you mm. when your wife doesn't do it the way you want her to do it? How do I keep the focus on myself and my relationship? Well, yeah. So in the beginning, um, you know... In the beginning of the relationship, we both struggled a lot. She, and thank God we had our own programs, but she was very anxious, and I was very anxious. And, um, and some of that we talked about, and some of that we didn't. And one day, and, and I, I love to do certain things that she doesn't love to do. And I always thought that meant it wasn't a viable relationship. And one day I called my sponsor, and I said, Amy won't hike with me. And my sponsor said, well, are you hiking anyway? And I said, well, no. She said, I suggest you find some people that like to hike and go hiking. And maybe Amy will join you and maybe she won't join you. And if your qualification for a relationship is hiking, then this isn't for you. And if you're okay that she doesn't do everything with you, then see, see where this goes. And, we're, and we got married. So, um, so how do I, I mean, some of that is I, I, I sometimes don't. And, and she'll say, honey, have you gone to a meeting or... Um, you know, when we first moved in together, I, um, I lived alone for a very long time. I just bought my condo, and then I met my wife, which I sort of think was creating space for another human being. And, um, and then, I, like, 11 months after we met, we moved in together. She moved in with me, and I felt really smothered. And I said to her, you know, sometimes I, I think it's easier to be alone or something like that, total wrong thing to say. Um, and she, thank God either from her family or her program, she said, okay, well, listen, so I'm going to go to a meeting. I love you, and I'll see you later. And um, I think, I mean, in some ways, she's taught me more about communication. But just relationships is like, I don't know, adding a food to my food plan. It's like I've got to do it with my sponsor and people that have been there. And I called people that have had long-term relationships and said, how do you do this? It's awkward and uncomfortable. And what do I bring to her? What do I not bring to her? And, and we're learning together. So, yeah. Carol. Um, thanks, Corey. Thanks for sharing. You shared uh, in the beginning about, as a kid, just feeling wrong and feeling you know, different and not good enough. And um, I'm just wondering, I imagine that you still innately struggle with that sometimes. And I'm just wondering how, how you work your program around it and how. So the question is, when when I felt so alone and different as a kid, um, has that changed, and how has that changed, and 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 does that ever go away? In my experience, um, so it's definitely. I mean, it started changing when I came here, and I heard that people threw their food away and went and got it and ate more of it and then threw it away again. And um, that helped me see that I wasn't the only person that did stuff. And it really opened up my eyes to the fact that that I'm not different. I'm not all that different from other people. Um, I mean, I also have had to seek it. So part of why I felt different as a kid was that I was a type 1 diabetic and there were things that I wasn't supposed to eat, but I ate them anyway, but nobody could know. And there was so much secrecy. And my family, for a while, when I moved in with my dad, he, he was a, sort of a hoarder, but we, I didn't have that term. And I couldn't bring friends over. And one day a friend wanted to come over, and I said, oh, we're moving. We're in the process of moving, which was a lie. We just had shit everywhere, stuff everywhere. And, um, 
I don't know. That's lifted over the years. I haven't particularly focused on that. But, yeah, sure, it comes back again. Um, I'm in this job where I'm working for somebody that I don't really think particularly values my work. And I, I, I have to do a lot of outreach to people who know my value so, and, and say, hey, here's what I did. And, and my boss just doesn't think this is viable. But I feel really good about it and have people go, that is amazing and incredible and so intuitive and insightful. And, you know, it sounds like you've got to do it his way, but maybe someday you'll have a boss who values that. I don't know. I mean, I've just worked my program around it. But it's, it's not gone, but it's lifted most of the time. Yeah. <coughs> Hang on, we got one back there. <laughs> yeah. So when you say you work your program what does that mean? What does that look like? It means I work. Yeah. So, so when I good, really good point. So when I say I, I work my program around something, it means I go back to the steps. It means I call my sponsor. It means I make outreach calls. It means I find people who have experience with the things that I'm struggling with and ask them how they got through them. Um, and in working the steps, particularly, um, usually I start with step one. I'm powerless over my boss. Um, and then I also have to remember that where I go when people don't approve of me is really a place of insanity for me because I can begin to look like the crazy one when someone doesn't approve of me, and that's my stuff. Um, and then I have to remember that I, I do believe that there's a, a power greater than myself that can help restore this for me, um, that I'm going to make a decision to trust that God's got this. Um, and right now where I am with my boss is I'm on the first step, so I'm not, I've not gone to the rest of them yet, but... I'm doing an inventory. And what's so interesting is this started out to be a boss inventory, but my dad's all over this and my mother's all over this. And my boss, interestingly, because I get so triggered, has pieces of my history that um, that remind me of my history. He doesn't have them. He remind me of my history. So and I'm getting to work that through the fourth step. So I think that for me, my experience of the 12 steps is it's a methodical way for me to, um, they used to, I used to hear this more, trust God, clean house, do service. And that sort of, for me, it helps me remember that God has me because if I got to the fourth step without knowing that God has me, it would be really hard for me because a lot of stuff comes up. And so um, there's a lot of really painful stuff coming up six years out after my dad took his life. And, um, and I'm getting to do the fourth step stuff on that. So that's what that means. Yeah, great question. Thank you. Michael? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just curious, did you um, inherit um, any of your dad's hoarding? Ah, did I inherit any of my dad's hoarding? So I did, and what's interesting is as I've I've worked the 12 steps, I, I used to feel really ashamed that my bed used to be so messy with stuff that I would sleep on the couch. Um... And I, and I had other quirky behaviors, like I would, well, yeah, so, and my kitchen and I have dishes piled high, and I had a cleaning woman once quit, because she said, I'm not paying her enough for all the work that she's doing, and, um, which incidentally happened to my dad, a, a cleaning woman left on stress leave, and, um, <laughs> and uh, I did, and somehow over the years, what I noticed was, I wanted, one day I wanted to start decluttering. I got this idea. I think it was maybe from a sponsor. And I went through my apartment at the time. I was living in an apartment. And I started taking out what I no longer needed. She said, find clothes that don't fit. If you have towels that you no longer use, 
um, shoes that you don't wear, you know, any stuff that you have that you tucked away somewhere that you've not used, if you've not used it in a long time. And I started throwing that out, and I thought, okay, nothing else can go. And then a year later, I had a craving to declutter. And I noticed there was so much more stuff that didn't feel a year ago that I could ever get rid of it. That felt like, why am I keeping this? And I've just found, as a, and it isn't even like I'm working the steps directly writing about clutter or not clutter, but we have a pretty clean home today. I mean, part of it is my wife was raised in Pacific Group, so we make our bed every day because that's what they did, But um, and I never did that before, but we just do. I mean, I, that's another thing that just sort of happened to me as a result of working the program. Um, but, yes, absolutely, I, I was a slob, and, um, and living alone for 18 years, I had my own place, um, Nobody knew was another thing that was a secret for me. So, yeah, good question. Jan. You and God or your higher power, how has this changed through the years? Mm, good question. How has my higher power or God changed over the years? Well, so when I came in, I didn't believe in God. I adamantly didn't believe in God. In, in Hebrew school, I used to challenge my Hebrew school teachers. And, and I... I would say things like, don't you think it's interesting that back in those times in the Old Testament, God spoke to a lot of people and doesn't speak to anyone now? What do you think that's about? And I thought I was going to get him. Like, he's going to go, oh, you're right. Um, I, didn't, I, I didn't believe in God. But I, because my thinking is so black and white, I thought God was like, um, you know, there are certain religions that believe things that I don't believe that, that sometimes are, are around... Uh, the, they, they use God as a way to, um, I'm trying to do this without being judgmental and political. Anyway, but just things that I don't believe and, and, a, and a concept of God that wouldn't work for me. And, and I thought that was God. I didn't, I didn't know that my higher power could be, time's up, okay, I'll just quickly wrap it up, could be anything. So um, over the years, um, in the beginning, it was a higher power. Then it was the, the you know, and, and my higher power was the group. That it became, I don't know, then, then I had a sponsor who was um, like an alternative, sort of, she was Buddhist, and, and she would call it spirit, and I love that, and, and now it's just sort of like Mother Earth, Father Sky, I can't stop the waves at the beach, so there's something bigger than me, doesn't make sense, I don't get how things like the Holocaust could have happened, um, but I also, you know, someone said to me, well, maybe there's God's will, and then there's human will, and, and I... I, don't, I stopped questioning, and I stopped fighting anyone and anything, like it says in the big book. And I just know that when I turn my will and my life and my food over to this God that I, you know, don't understand, that it gets better. So sort of pardon the pun, but the proof is in the pudding. Well, thanks.